Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm so glad that you're watching today's message. I believe it'll be a blessing to you. I believe it'll encourage you, it'll strengthen you, and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. Enjoy today's message, and I'll see you at the end of the broadcast. We're continuing our Mission Possible series. And in this series, we talked about the importance of faith. We talked about the importance of how we approach the Word of God and having ears to hear what the Spirit of God would say to us. We've seen the importance of coming to church with our supply. We talk about how each and every one of us has a supply that contributes to what happens to the overall experience. We've talked about a number of other things. We talked about last Sunday, the miraculous power of God. And so we can go a little bit further, setting up for where we're going to take it next week. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why did he give these ministry gifts? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the body of Christ or believers or Christians to do the work of the ministry they're called to do. For the edifying or the building up or the encouraging of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. So now we know the body of Christ ain't there yet, right? It doesn't take deep revelation or discernment to know we're not there yet. That lets you know that there are still apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Because depending on, we have people here of different denominational background, people who've been saved out of other religions, people have different expectations when it comes to ministry offices. Some denominations believe they're just evangelists and pastors and Sunday school teachers. Some people believe there's only apostles and prophets. But all of these gifts are still here, and they're all important. Till we all come into the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children. Notice, it's about to define what children are concerning the body of Christ. Tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Notice that. If you can highlight, I want you to highlight the verse. We will be coming back to it. That we should no longer be children tossed back and forth and carried around with every wind of doctrine. Now, when we see the word doctrine, some of us get very religious. Oh, he's talking about the teachings of the church. Well, yes, a doctrine is something that an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher can teach from a pulpit. But how many know there's more doctrines in life than just what comes forth from the pulpit? Politicians teach doctrines. Well, what is a doctrine? It's teaching. It's instructions for life. So politicians give instructions for life. Entertainers give instructions for life. Influencers give instructions for life. News reporters and journalists give instructions for life. Professors give instructions for life. There are many different doctrines in this world. The question is, which one are you following? Because it can sound religious, because look, the United States of America is a religious nation. For anything to work in this nation, it has to sound religious. Even the agnostics and the atheists are religious in nature. Well, how do you know that? When they get in trouble, they don't, they cuss and say God. It's in them. This is a very religious nation. And for any doctrine to flourish in this nation, it has to have a tend of religiosity to it. And so some people, when they hear the different doctrines, ooh, I felt something. Well, that doesn't mean it was Jesus. That's because you felt something. It could be what you ate last night. Also could be a demon. You have to be aware of what doctrine you follow. And because we're coming up to an election, I remind you all the time is don't be caught up in the political drama. Remember, your faith and hope should be in God, not the politicians. God bless Ms. Abrams and Mr. Kemp and Mr. Warnock and Mr. Walker, but your faith better not be in them. You must keep your faith in God. You pray and you vote. Well, pastor, who you voting for? I ain't telling you. And you don't have to tell everybody else who you're voting for. You just make sure you pray, 
You get from God who you're supposed to vote for, and then you vote. And then whoever wins, you pray for them. If your person who you didn't vote for wins and you don't pray for them, that is a sin. Especially if you're pray, not praying for them because you don't like them or you don't like their political party. Oh, pastor, that's tough. That's what the Bible says. That's not my opinion. Samuel said, I will not sin by not praying for you. That's what he told them after they made a decision that we want a king just like all the other nations. Saul became king, and Samuel called them all together and said, look, y'all screwed up. And they said, well, pray for us. He said, I won't sin before God by not praying for you. I will keep praying for you. 1 Timothy 2 tells us to pray for all those who are in authority, all those who have influence, whether you like the party or not, whether you like who's in power or not. It is your job as a Christian to pray and not strike them down, Jesus. What do you pray? The Word. What's a good place to start? That Ephesians 1 prayer. Pray that they come to the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2, that they know that there is a God and that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Pray that they know the truth and yield to the truth. You have to understand, we'll get this into our, in our Book of Daniel study series we're doing on Wednesday nights, that there is a double kingdom system, that there is an invisible world of principalities and powers and spirits of wickedness in high places and demonic rank and file all types and sorts that work to interfere with rulers and leaders of nations. And no matter how much you protest or picket or tweet or post, that does not stop a demon. If your actions aren't based by the leading of the Spirit of God and yielding to praying, serious praying, then the darkness will march on. You have to pray. We have to be a praying church. We have to be a church that holds territory in the spirit and in the natural by the words that we pray. You have to understand the words that we pray prepare the way for God to do things. Remember, John the Baptist was sent ahead of Jesus to prepare for the way of the Lord, right? Well, how did John the Baptist prepare? What was the main thing he did? Well, yes, he baptized, but what else did he do? He preached. He spoke spirit-inspired words. His speaking and preaching and teaching and prophesying spirit-inspired words paved the way for Jesus to show up. A lot of us want change in our community and in our state, but if there are not people speaking and preaching and teaching and prophesying, spirit-empowered words that change you want won't happen no matter how well you organize. The church has to pave the way in prayer. The church has to hold territory in prayer. Because if there's not a praying church, it doesn't matter if you get the best person in office, all the plans come to naught. How many politicians have been elected and as soon as they stepped in office, it seems like something comes over them and they leave office. I don't know why I did all those things that I did. People want to blame the politician, but I believe God holds the church responsible. I remember listening to a message from Dad Hagen from decades ago and there's something happened in the nation that the Lord told them to pray about and they prayed for a little while and then they stopped praying. And I believe he said he saw Jesus in front of him and said, I hold you responsible. That didn't have to happen in this nation. What is going on in our state that the Lord holds the church responsible for? Because we're not a praying people. We're politically obsessed, politically possessed, but we don't yield to prayer. Because of all you consume is what the politicians say, and that's all that comes out of your mouth, you won't have supernatural power that we talked about last week. That power doesn't flow from politics. It flows from walking in union with Jesus. And what we see with people who are politically obsessed and politically possessed and all they think about is this, is they get tossed to and fro. If you wake up 
on November 9th and your candidate didn't win and you're depressed, there's an issue. Because guess what? The sun will still rise. Time will still go on. But that lets you know where your faith is. Psalms tells us we don't put our trust or our confidence in princes. We put it in God. And too much of the church on both sides of the aisle have put their faith in elephants and donkeys instead of the most high God. The sign of an awakening is not an election. It's people turning to God. One thing will save America. It's an awakening to God not an election. Because you can get the best person in office, but if the heart of the people are corrupt, it will do you no good. There has to be a praying church. There has to be a church that is light. There has to be a church that is salt. There has to be a church that knows what they believe. Because what would happen is with all these other instructions for life out there, one of the jobs is to get you off of the word. To where you're tossed to and fro by every new philosophy, new teaching. Now, one of the things when you listen and read different things and you go to different classes and courses and magazines and shows and TED Talks and all the other things, you have to be mature enough to process what you hear. Old phrase goes, eat the hay, spit the sticks. Eat the chicken, throw away the bones. But if there's a program that you're watching that is 99% sticks or 99% bones, you, you probably should look at something else. But there's something you're watching, well, it's about 70% hay, 70% chicken. It's got some stuff you need to throw out. Then throw it out. But the only way you're mature enough to make that decision is because you actually know what the book says. That means we can't be spiritual lazy. We got to read the book ourselves. Some people want someone to prophesy over them, give them a word, because they don't want to pray themselves. And you know what happens if you develop like that? If you stay that word, we know baby Christians stay babies for a little while because they have time to grow up. But if you stay like that, always looking for someone else to give you, the wor give you a word, Satan will make sure a counterfeit comes by to give you a word that destroys your life. And I'm not just talking about false prophets. There are witches out there. Can you believe a witch commented on my Instagram yesterday? Like, left a comment on my Instagram, said, hey, do you want us to curse someone from you? I'm like, what? It's like, delete, block, what in the world? But it's out there because people yield to it. You're looking for answers, and you never open your Bible. You're looking for answers, and you're filled with the Holy Ghost, but you haven't taken time to pray in tongues yet. And so now you look for whatever angel numbers or roots or burning sage can do for you. And now you've opened doors to be destroyed by the devil. And guess what you'll do? You'll blame God. I don't know how God let that happen to me. I don't know why God did it. God didn't do it. You just opened the door to the devil. People like seeing haunted movies at this time of year. Look, you do all these things, you will live it. We don't need you guest starring on the next exorcist. So y'all say I'm nowhere in my notes. There we go. A sign of spiritual immaturity is being tossed back and forth with every new wind of teaching. Go with me to James chapter 1. Tossed back and forth, driven by the wind. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But, pay attention to this, let him ask in faith with no doubting. That word doubting is also translated wavering. For he who doubts or wavers is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the what? By the wind. 
This word doubt or waver means to be at variance with oneself or to be internally inconsistent. It means to be at variance with oneself or to be internally inconsistent. For the person who's going back and forth on the inside, let not that man suppose that he will receive what? Anything from the Lord. For he is double-minded, unstable in all his, all his ways. So these doubts, this wavering, this internally inconsistency, where does it come from? The wind. Well, what wind are we talking about? The physical wind? No. The wind of circumstance. The wind of situation. The wind of whatever new doctrine or teaching is grabbing your ear. You know, it talks about those who live at the end, and we get closer every day to the end, whether Jesus comes back for our generation or not, every single second one of this planet, we're getting closer to the return of the Lord. We're getting closer to the end of time. And it says for those who live at the end, that there'll be people who know they should go for the truth, but they start looking for different things that scratch their itchy ears. Because what happens when you itch, you scratch. And so they have this need that I need to hear something, but I don't want to hear the word anymore. So let me find something that's going to reinforce my right to sin. That's what they're looking for. Because they still want that religious experience. But they want their religious experience that tells them they can do whatever their flesh tells them to. And they'll find teachers, like it talks about in 2 Peter and Jude, who go after the way of Korah who sin in the way of Balaam, who are of the way of Cain. And Jude and Peter talk about their destruction and the people they lead to destruction. You have to know what you believe for yourself. Because what happens even on the lighter side, not the deep end of destruction I just referenced in Jude and 2 Peter, the lighter side is you don't receive anything from God. Not because he's not giving it. You're just not receiving it. So he'll give it. He sent it. But you just don't catch it. It's like a quarterback could throw a perfect pass. But how many know somebody better catch it? Because it doesn't matter how good the throw was. If nobody catches it, it's no point to it. God sends stuff all the time, but can you catch? And guess what? If you go back and forth internally and doubt internally all the time, you won't be in position to catch. How many know it's really hard to catch if your hands are in your pocket? Your hand should at least be in position to catch something. Is your heart in position to catch anything God sends? Or have you got out of catching position because you've allowed other doctrines and teachings to tell you differently about what God does? Have you allowed your circumstance or your situation to tell you differently about what God does? How have you let someone else's life tell you differently about what God does? Well, if God didn't do it for them, he can't do it for me. You don't know what happened in their life. Well, I knew them really well. You thought you knew them really well. There's a whole bunch of stuff with them that only them and Jesus knows. <laughs> thoughts of doubt will come to your mind. We will all have thoughts of doubt. Some of them from ourselves, some of them from the enemy. The enemy does have access to your mind, and he will shoot thoughts of doubt. But understand, the thoughts of doubt aren't the problem. The problem comes when you agree with those thoughts. Because when you agree with those thoughts, you begin to waver. When you waver, you are mentally tossed back and forth. This will affect your faith and cause you to miss out what God wants to give you. This is the type of doubt that goes from your head to your heart. Go to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Thoughts of doubt aren't the problem. Agreeing with those thoughts of doubt are. Because when you agree with those thoughts of doubt, you won't stand in faith any longer. You'll go back and forth. 
You'll say amen on Sunday and say oh me on Monday. There'll be a fake giant shouting and dancing and doing backflips across the altar on Sunday morning. But tomorrow is like, oh, I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know if God can come through for me. And so many believers are like that. And that's why they don't receive things from God on a regular basis. And then they'll say things, well, I guess miracles aren't for today. Or I guess God doesn't want to do it in my life. Or I guess this can't happen. You have to watch what you allow to dominate your thinking. Mark eleven twenty three 23 says, For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his what? Heart. But believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Wind-driven doubt will keep your mountain in place. This type of wavering will cost you the supernatural lifestyle of faith. This wavering will depower your faith declarations and short-circuit your prayer life. How many people have had this amazing time of prayer and then they leave prayer and say, well, I don't know if that worked. You just prayed the power down. Angels were released. But he's like, you know what? I don't know if that worked. And then angels are like, so what are we supposed to do with this? Well, I know we have some angels that are like with signs, will work for faith. And then they've watched some of our lives, they've read in people who stay in faith. You cannot allow the winds and the waves to deter you from what is possible. All things are possible to them that believe. We looked at that scripture earlier in the series. But how long will you stay in faith? Go with me to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. Get into where I want to get today. Hebrews chapter 6. Start at verse 10. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. Hebrews chapter 6, starting with verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God won't forget what you do for him and what you do for others. He won't forget it. One of the things we'll see later in Hebrews is that he rewards it. There are rewards in this life and in heaven. Say, there are rewards in this life and in heaven. You have to understand that if you take care of God's business, you do stuff for him and do stuff for his people, God will take care of your business. That I fully understand there are rewards in my life that I haven't earned, but my great-grandmother did. Not only did she get rewarded, I still get rewarded. It's a generational blessings. See, part of the benefits of obeying God is you set up rewards not just for you, but for those who come after you. There's so many people, we can see it in the news and in everyday life, that they haven't made the best decisions. And you wonder, how are they still alive? Like, they've drank in everything. They've smoked everything. They shot up everything. They slept with everyone. And yet, they're still kicking. How? There was a praying great-great-grandmother down the line whose prayers still work today even though she's been in heaven for decades. That's why it's important to be prayerful because it's not just about you. Your prayer reverberates through eternity. You doing good to others and doing what God has called you to do sets up rewards for you and those who come after you. Now, we did our study of the book of Judges over the past few months, and one of the things that God had an issue with the generation that lived after Gideon was they didn't treat his family right. He said, after everything he did for you, not only did you turn on me, you turned on him and his family. I got a problem with that. God wants generational blessings to follow. But in our culture, for whatever reason, we're a, we are fascinated by generational curses. 
just fascinated. We'll have breaking generational curses conferences when the focus shouldn't be on the curse but the blessing. Since you are redeemed from the curse of the law. We have to have a different mentality if we're going to live the life God has for us. We have to be generational in our thinking because your God is generational in his thinking. So how do you know that? He calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when you say that name, you're talking to a, about a God who sees in generations. That he'll look at Abraham and think of you. Because the scripture says, if you're in Christ, you are the seed of Abraham. And there are things he'll do for you because he sees your great-grandkid coming. And he's setting things up for them. See, it's important that you follow God not just for you, because when God sees you, he sees what came before and what comes after. Even if the people that you produce ain't living for Jesus right now. This is not the time to get discouraged. This is not the time to quit, because you didn't always live for Jesus either. And somebody didn't quit on you. You just stand and believe that you'll see the salvation of the Lord. You just stand and you say like Joshua, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And you take that care and you roll it onto Jesus. That stress, that anxiety, that fear, what if they don't turn back? What if they don't serve God? What if they do this? What if they do that? You roll it on to God. Well, how often every time that fear comes upon you, Every time that anxiety tries to grab you, you roll it onto God. And you trust him with it. A little bit more extreme version of the story. I remember Brother Copeland talking about what, how his mama prayed for him. Because he was trying, not trying to live for God at all. He was running as fast and as far as he could. And his mama kept praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And she finally said one day, Look, God, I'm done praying for him. If he goes to hell, it's your fault. <laughs> now, how she said it was very interesting and funny to most of us. But what did she do at that moment? She took the care and put it on Jesus. Because sometimes we have to learn, because we can be praying people, but although we're praying, we're still carrying the care. You have to learn how to intercede and cast the care. That a burden may come on you to pray for somebody. You pray for that person. You take that burden, and you give it to the one who can carry it. The Scripture says, bear one another's burdens. When it say you keep it, you take it from them because you know where it belongs. And Brother Copeland said a couple weeks after that, he, his wife got saved, and then he got saved. And they've been serving God for decades now. Because one woman kept praying and put the care of her children on Jesus. And I'm talking to some of you here, you're praying for your kids and your grandkids because they're not serving God right now. You keep praying for them. You keep being a blessing to others and being a blessing to other people's kids. And then you take that weight and you put it on Jesus and put that expectation on him to make it work. And watch him do it in short order. You say, I'm just not going to stress about it. And that doesn't mean you need to tell them about all their sins at Thanksgiving. They sit down trying to eat fried chicken, and you have Leviticus out to tell them, well, the Bible says you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> That's not what you need to do. Well, what do I need to do? What do I need to say? Whatever the Spirit of God tells you to say. He knows how to win them, but you need to do it his way. And he knows how to get in people's dreams. That's one of the ways I pray for political leaders. Jesus just appeared to them in dreams. He's been dealing with pharaohs since ancient times. He knows how to deal with modern-day politicians. He knows how to get in their dreams, get in their thoughts, get in their visions. Stuff that you can't do, but he can. So roll the care. For God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence. What does that mean? 
keep it up and don't stop. You've been taking care of God and his people, you keep it up, you don't stop. To the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, indifferent, lazy, back away from what you believe. But what should you do instead? Imitate those through faith and patience, which is cheerful endurance, inherit the promises. Faith and patience inherits the promises of God. The winds and waves of doubt seek to undermine your faith and your patience. The winds and waves from circumstances, situations, the winds and waves of contrary doctrines and teachings and instructions for life seek to undermine your faith and your patience. Because some people's problem is not faith, it's their patience. Oh, I believe God. I confessed it in church. An hour later, your food hasn't even digested yet. You say, well, God, where is it? I decreed, declared, believed, received. Where is it? Give it some time. For some of you, it took you some decades to get into the situation that you're in. Let God have some time to unravel what you so massively put together. But you have to be patient during that time. And it's not just patient, oh, I'm waiting on God. Uh, hurry up, Jesus! No, it's cheerful endurance. So that means while you wait, you got to smile. While you wait, you can be joyful. Because some of our patience is like a two-year-old's patience. So give me a second. All right, second's over. No, that's not literally a minute. So give me five minutes. Is it five minutes yet? 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 That's how some of y'all talk to God. God, is it five minutes yet? Is it five minutes yet? Is it five minutes yet? Faith and patience inherits the promise. Verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, so remember it says, follow those who are examples of faith and patience, so it gives us an example, Abraham. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Remember the promise he gave to Abraham? It was impossible. It couldn't happen when they're younger. Now, they're both almost a century. There's no way they about to have a baby. Yet God made them a promise. We keep reading Hebrews. He made them a promise, and then he swore an oath. Because he knew how mankind at that time thought of oaths. So he did both so that they knew what he said will come to pass. Let's look at this, Romans chapter 4. Look what Abraham did, Romans chapter 4. Because Abraham is an example in this era we should follow, following the faith of Abraham. Or as it says in the Old Testament prophets, look into the rock from which you were hewn. So let's look at here in Romans chapter 4. Verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. What is it? It's by faith that it might be by grace or by gift. It's not what you're working for, but it's what you are receiving. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who's the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead or makes alive the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. And so this is what God does. He calls things that be not as though they were. But he changed Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham. When he named him father, he named him Abraham, which means father of many nations. He wasn't a father of many nations at that point. But God changed the way he talked about himself. He changed the way he identified. So now his identification and his confession is the promise of God. He's walking around saying, I'm the father of many nations. Sarah's calling him the father of many nations. All those around him now calling him father of many nations. And so now what are they doing? They are acting like God. In the presence or the face of God. Acting like him talking like him. You don't just make up your own words. 
Because we say, well, I'm going to call things that be not as though they were. I'm just going to say something. I'm going to manifest something. Back away, back up slowly. Some of you are manifesting some stuff you don't want to manifest. You want to make sure that you're saying what he told you to say. In Mark chapter 11, went back a little bit further, Jesus told, he spoke to the fig tree. Then he told us that we speak to the mountain. Now, we don't make up the words we speak to the fig tree. We don't make up the words we speak to the mountain. Where do we get those words from? The Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. He will tell you what to say. And when you say it, after you're done, stop talking. You don't need to add on to it. You just say what he tells you to say. This is how you're acting in following the faith of Abraham, who against hope believed in hope. Or in other words, when it was hopeless, he still believed in hope. When it was hopeless, he still combined his faith with his hope. That he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall your seed be. And being not weak in faith. Now it's about to define for you what is being weak in faith. He considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old and neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So what is definition one of being weak in faith? Considering your circumstances. The Bible defines being weak in faith as considering your circumstances in comparison to what God promised. Where you look at what God said, you say, well, God, I know you said that, but my life looks like this. God, I know you said this, but my bank account looks like this. God, I know you said this, but the doctor said this. God, I know you said this, but the economy says this. God, I know you said this, but did you hear what they said on the news? Weak in faith or weak faith is considering your circumstances. But notice what it says in that. Staggering not at the promise of God. So staggering at the promise of God is also weak faith. But you know what's interesting? That word staggering is the same word for wavering in James. Going back and forth, being internally inconsistent, being double-minded. That is also weak faith. So St. Abraham didn't have weak faith. He didn't go back and forth. He finally got to a place of faith, and it took him some time. When he started the journey of Abraham, he had some journeys. And it didn't tell you to do everything that Abraham did. It told you to follow his faith. There's some stuff he did you better never, ever do. But when it comes to following his faith, when he finally got into faith, that's what you can follow. And so what happened, he changed the way he talked. This verse lets you know he changed the way he thought. And faith is now building in his heart. Now imagine he's doing this as a man who's not even born again. A man who hasn't been washed in the blood. A man who's not been baptized in the Holy Ghost. A man who doesn't even have a physical Bible to look at. All he knows is what God said. And all he knows are the stories that have been passed down over the last thousand years or so. That's all he had. And through his relationship with God, he heard God and chose to trust God. Because he trusted God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so now he's finally in place where he can believe what God promised will come to pass. And he chooses not to be internally inconsistent. He chooses not to stagger or waver at the promises of God. He chooses not to consider his circumstances, which are some pretty realistic circumstances. You 100, your wife is 90. No one thinks you're about to have a baby. Don't law look so spiritual. If we told you we're having a baby shower at the living epistles meeting for one of our living epistles, you look at me just as crazy. There's no way that it could happen. Yet this man finally got to a place where he said, I'm not going to consider all the different reasons why it can't happen. I'm going to consider the reason that it can't happen. The promise of God. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. It's about to give you the definition of being strong in faith. Giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. So strong faith is praising God. 
Or as Bishop said, go to bed, get up, praise God. Go to bed, get up, praise God. Well, how long do you do that? Until it shows up. Go to bed, get up, praise God. Well, it doesn't look like it. Go to bed, get up, praise God in a step. Well, it hasn't showed up yet. You keep doing it until it shows up. Then after it shows up, you do it again. Because now you have exactly what you believe for. Which lets us know if we're going to be people of faith, especially strong faith, we must keep the praises of God in our mouth. We can't just sing praises to God on Sunday morning. We have to be filled with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our heart to the Lord, as it says in Ephesians. That if you want your faith to be strong, you've got to remain grateful, and not just on Thanksgiving. When you go around the table, everyone, share what you're thankful for. No, that's the time to eat. Be thankful all year round. So when it's finally time for the fried chicken and the turkey, you can eat it. Some of you take so long to answer the question because you haven't been grateful for a few years. You've got to find out something so you can eat your hot fried chicken. If you want to be strong in faith, you've got to be grateful and thankful all the time. You say, well, Pastor, what I want hasn't showed up yet, but is God's word true? Yes, and thank him for it in advance. So well, everything's going wrong. Well, what can I thank God for? You have enough breath to tell me that everything went wrong. That is a good place to start. You still here. That is a good place to start. His word is still true. That's a good place to start. And be fully persuaded that God can do exactly what he said he can do. Let's go back to Hebrews. Begin to bring this to a close. Hebrews 6 once again. Hebrews 6, verse 16. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, the promise and the oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us, that God is our refuge. His word is our refuge. We know it's impossible for him to lie. He gave us his promise. He gave us his oath. And now because of his promise and his oath, there is a hope that is set before us. Because remember, Abraham believed in hope when it seemed to be hopeless. But notice what it also says about hope. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Let's pause right here. I'll come back here. An anchor of the soul. Well, what is your soul? It's your mind, it's your will, and the control center of your emotions. Do you know, your mind will be tossed on the winds and waves of life circumstances unless it has an anchor. If your mind is anchored, you won't be internally inconsistent. If your mind is anchored, your emotions will follow suit. If you're anchored, your will, your desires will follow suit. And notice that anchor is hope. What is hope? Positive expectations. But this is not just any type of hope. This is hope that is based on the Word of God. Hope always deals with the future. And so this hope comes from looking at the Word and seeing the future. And when you look at your future, you see positive things because you believe God's going to do exactly what He said. When you have that hope, that keeps your mind right. Where you only be going back and forth. I don't know if God will do it. No, I know He will do it. I have this hope. This hope will anchor your emotions because you know you don't need to lose it because you know God's going to come through. You know you don't need to be anxious because you know God's going to come through. You know you don't have to be distraught because you know God is going to come through. You have this anchor to your mind, your will, and your emotions. And it's the hope because you know God cannot lie. And you all see here, he is your refuge. 
He is your fortress. In him do you trust. Surely he'll deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence and evil, every evil and harmful thing. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes will you behold the reward of the wicked. Why? Because you've taken God as your refuge. You took him as your fortress. With long life will he satisfy you and show you his salvation. Why? You've taken him as your refuge. You've taken him as your fortress. And knowing this anchors your mind. It anchors your will. It anchors your emotions. So now you're not going to go back and forth when you pray. So if your mind is anchored, now when you pray, you know you're going to get exactly what you asked for. Now that your mind is anchored, you know you're growing spiritually. Because those who go back and forth are spiritual children. But now if your mind is anchored in the truth of God's word that come what may, I know what God said is coming to pass, I can stand strong and I can keep growing. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become the high priest forever after the, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, when ships drop anchor, they drop it into the seafloor, right? But your anchor isn't in the seafloor. Your anchor is in the throne room of God. And not the outer courts. Not the borders of heaven. Not in the garden of the paradise that surrounds heaven. Not in the mansions that are in heaven. Not in the streets of gold or the rivers that are in heaven. Your anchor is way behind the veil. It's in the holy of holies, right at the throne of God, where Jesus went in ahead of you. You are anchored there. And when you know that, you can keep your mind right. Because you know one day you're going there. But until you get there, it's your job to manifest there right here. Because he told you to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He told us to occupy till he comes back. He told us to be the light until he comes back. He told us to be the salt until he comes back. So our soul can be anchored knowing we're backed by another kingdom. Although we live in the United States of America, although we have our citizenship here, guess what? We are dual citizens. We have citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. We are backed by the kingdom of heaven. We are backed by the army of heaven. We are backed by the power of heaven. We are backed by the economy of heaven. We're backed by the health care of heaven. We're backed by the strength of heaven. We're backed by the wisdom and the innovation of heaven. Our anchor is there, and that's what backs us up. Seek first his kingdom, his will, his way of being right, and all these things will be added to you. Anchored in heaven. You're anchored right there at the throne, right there at the mercy seat where there's been blood sprinkled. Your ankle right there. What happens if the blood's been sprinkled? The blood speaks a better word, Hebrew says. It speaks better than the things of Abel's blood. What does the blood say about you? Not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. It says Jesus died for our sins, but he was raised for our justification. He was raised for us to be declared not guilty. So before God Almighty, every single moment, there is a voice that rises from the blood that says, they are not guilty. The blood had been sprinkled. That means there's mercy for you. Let's know why Hebrews says boldly come to the throne of grace, to ask for grace, mercy, and help for your time of need. Why? You're anchored there. There's mercy for you there. And guess what Ephesians 1 and 2 tells you? You're seated there. Your anchor is at your seat. 
You're not supposed to tiptoe into the presence of God like, ooh, was God wanting to see me today. You have a reserved seat. You got a spot right there. You got an anchor right there. You got a throne right there. You got mercy right there. You have to remember where your power flows from. It tells you in Colossians, set your affections on things that are above. If you want to make a difference here, you really have to be heavenly minded. Because the problems on earth now can't be solved by the wisdom of men. It has to be solved by the wisdom of heaven. There are things that have to be bound by the authority that comes from heaven. There are things that have to be loosed by the authority that comes from heaven. But you can't handle what's going on in this world by natural human standards. You cannot handle what's about to come upon this earth with natural human standards. What is about to come on this earth is going to make the last two years look like it was nothing. You need to be anchored. This is the whole purpose of this message. You need to be anchored. A couple weeks ago, the Lord started talking to me about 2023. And after I heard it, I told my wife what he told me. She, you know what she said? We need to pray. I'll share with other few people and say, yeah, that bears witness with our heart. And sometime soon I'll tell you more about it. But one of the things the Lord shared says, that's what's coming next year and we've already, you've already entered into it. There are horrific things ahead. It's a year of extremes. But not just the extreme on the horrible side. It's also going to look like a year of contradictions. Because over here, there's extreme goodness and provision of God. And on the other side, there's extreme depravity and lack of man. And you're going to have options. Which extreme do you dwell under? But those who remain anchored, Those who make the decision not to consider the contradiction, but consider the covenant, it will be a year of Goshen. But you must be anchored, for those things have already begun. So Hebrews 10, 23. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. King James says, provoke one another to love and good works. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Since we know God is faithful, Let's hold fast to the words he's been telling us to say. Let's hold fast to the general confession of our Christianity and whatever specific things he's telling us to say. Let's hold fast to doing good works. Let's hold fast to walking in love. Let's hold fast to assembling together. You do it even more when you see the return is getting closer. How many know, even just every day that goes by, we get closer to the return of the Lord. With some of the things we witnessed in the last two years, we're like, ooh, Jesus, any moment. Like, literally, any moment, looking up, is that, is that a cloud or is that? But notice, as we see the day approaching, we're not supposed to grow in fear. We should grow in hope. Do you know Titus calls the return of the Lord that blessed hope? It talks about the first time Jesus came, it calls it hope. This time we're living in is bookended by hope. As we get closer to the end of all things, we should not be hopeless people. We should be overflowing in hope. We should be dreaming bigger, believing bigger, because it says there is a time where darkness and gross darkness will cover the earth, but the light of God will rise upon you. So yes, it gets dark in the world, but it gets bright in his people. And wherever you go, that bright light goes. You know what it said for those in Goshen? It says when darkness came on Egypt, and Egypt is a type of the world, there was light in Goshen. Darkness was in Egypt, but there was light 
in Goshen. The darkness, it said in Egypt, was so thick that you could feel it. And it was so bad, people didn't get up or go anywhere. They just stayed in the place. But Goshen, they came and went. There was supernatural light in their dwellings. So no matter how dark it gets in the world, know there's always light in Goshen. And where you go is Goshen. Because when he studies Psalm 91, Psalm 91 isn't a fixed place. For those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High God, they abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That's not a fixed place. Where are you supposed to stay? The shadow. So if God's moving, you stay with him. Some people believe that psalm was written by Moses. And think about him writing it in the wilderness. The pillar of fire by day, the pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day, it's moving. When it moved, they moved. When it stopped, they stopped. Your secret place is whatever God tells you to be. But if you're not anchored, you'll end up in places you ain't supposed to be. Verse 35, therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance or patience, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. Faith is a lifestyle, not just a moment. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back or back up to perdition, to destruction. For those who believe, who press into the saving of the soul, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith gives your hope substance. Hope is the blueprint. Faith is the materials. And so when you're going forward, you have to make sure that you're anchored because you're going to have to create some things that don't exist in your life right now. You're going to have to yield to the spirit of wisdom and be innovative. But the thing is, you can't just have faith with no hope. Because you can have a whole bunch of materials, but you don't know what you're supposed to build. You have to get before God and understand the promises, the general promises in the word of God for your life and the specific things he's promised you and let that blueprint rise up in your spirit. And once you see the blueprint, God gives you the words for what to speak to that part of your life. If your hope is based in Jesus, what you build in hope will be secure. And so you have hope for your relationships, you have hope for your family, you have hope for your kids, you have hope for your finances, you have hope for your career, and et cetera. All those things are good, but you have to make sure that hope is based in the hope that's found in Jesus. If you want it to be secure, because if it's not, the end of this year and next year will shake everything you build. But if your faith is in God, and you've put your hope in God and not politicians, you'll be able to build and experience extreme levels of the goodness of God. Stuff that makes people go, there's no way that happened for you. And you say, yes, it did. It's a year of contradiction. It's a year of extremes. You've already entered into it. But I don't say these things to make you afraid. I say these things so that you become anchored and make sure you anchor in the right place and not in party politics or the drama that's in the world. Romans 15, let me be close. Romans 15, verse four, I'll read it for the sake of time. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Verse 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound or overflow in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. The God of hope wants to fill you with all joy and peace, and he wants you to overflow in hope. You know, even from the last couple years and looking into the future and things that are coming, I'm filled with so much hope it doesn't make sense. Because I know some dramatic, horrific things await in this nation around the world but I'm overflowing with hope because I know what the body of Christ will do will outshine the darkness. So don't be discouraged when you hear news reports. Don't be discouraged when you hear election results. 
Don't be discouraged when you see the economy go up and down like a roller coaster at Six Flags. Don't be discouraged. Remember where your anchor is. Remember who your hope is. Remember you have the hope of heaven. Remember you have the hope of the return of the Lord. Remember you have the hope of everything God promised you. Better promises brought better hope. You have the hope of all the promises of the new covenant and all his promises concerning you are yes and amen. You have that hope. And when you have that hope, it frees you from being mad at politicians. I can't believe they did that. Yep, not sure how they did it either, but let's pray for them. It frees you from being mad about everybody else because they didn't treat you right. So you know what? They didn't do what was right by me, but my God's got me. Let me pray for them. But when you expect other people to do for you what only God is supposed to do, you will be disappointed and discouraged every time. You need to make sure your anchor's in the right place. I don't think I'll read it today, but Jeremiah 17 talks about two individuals. One who puts their trust in what they can do and the work of their own hands and what they can do in fleshly efforts. And it says that man is cursed. That means empowered to fail. It says he won't see when good comes. It didn't say good's not coming. It says he won't see it. Why? He's looking in the wrong place. But then it says, blessed is the man whose hope is the Lord. For he won't see when he comes. It doesn't say it's not coming, he's just not looking at that. But it talks about how he'll prosper like the man in Psalm 1. That he can prosper even in times of parched deserts. Where your trust is, where your hope is, is important. And will grow even more important in the end of this year and next year. And so, we remind ourselves of these things. We encourage ourselves of these things. It's not a message to discourage you. It's a message to remind you, it's time to dream bigger. It's time to believe bigger. Why? Our time has come. Some of you have been preparing for stuff for decades. It's like, well, I don't know why God has been teaching me all these things for decades and years, and all of a sudden, your door is going to open. It's like, whoa, I know exactly why God's been doing this all these years long. I've been waiting for the door, but now the door has opened. A friend of mine, a man of God, had declared, this is a time of open doors. Doors the enemy won't be able to shut. So that's why you're not discouraged. It's your time. That's why I don't give up. It's your time. No matter what shows up on this earth. The scriptures already told you about it ahead of time. It says men's heart will fail them for fear. But that's great that you don't put your trust where the people's hearts who fail for fear are. Because it says perfected, grown up love, cast out, evicts all fear. For fear has torment. So if you feel fear trying to creep in, you fight it with the love of God. A couple weeks ago, I noticed trying to creep into me. I stopped. I said that, that morning, I said, no, 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 we're going to concentrate on the love of God this morning. I began to go over and confess scriptures about the love of God, about how much God loves me. I began to sing songs about how much God loves me. And that fear that I felt trying to creep in fled. So if you have fear trying to creep in to you or even loud in, you need to double up this week on the love of God. Reminding yourself how much God loves you. Reminding yourself all the things he did to prove his love towards you. You remember, remember in John, when he told the disciples, you guys can stand to your feet. He told the disciples, love others as I loved you. Remember that scripture? A lot of times when we hear that scripture, we think of Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, right? But there's one problem with that. Jesus hadn't died yet. He hadn't suffered yet. He hadn't been raised yet. And so when he told them that, each one of them had an example over the last three years of how Jesus loved them personally, right where they needed to be loved. And so the love of God is personal. It's tailor-made for you. He, he expects you to share that love with others. 
but know that God knows where exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're dealing with. He knows exactly what you're coming up against. He knows exactly what you've been through. But you meditating on that love will free you from fear. That love will fuel your faith. That faith will give substance to your hope. And you'll be able to go into the bright future that God has for you. Your future is not dark. Your future is as bright as God can make it. So stay on the hope side. Stay on the faith side. Stay on the love side. Stay on the side of the word of God. Stay on the side where you know all things are possible to them that believe. Stay on that side. Stay on that side. Amen. I believe today's message encourages you, it strengthens you, it's helping you to live the lifestyle of faith. If you're ever in the Metro Atlanta area, we'd love for you to worship with us in person. You can find information about our different locations at fccga.com. Also, we have so many different ways where you can get the word. You can download our Faith Plus app. You could also visit us on our social media pages, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube. We'd love for you to connect with us. We also have a podcast on Apple Podcasts as well as on Spotify. We have two. One is called the Faith Podcast, and then we have our daily devotional podcast, which is called Faith in the Morning. I look forward to seeing you on many different social media platforms and in person at Faith Christian Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, and remember, something good is going to happen to you today, so expect miracles. God bless.